Hi guys, I'm driving around. I have my Starbucks green tea lemonade with a little bit of matcha. I just checked on the okra in the boxed garden and I staked it yesterday. I watered it today. It is blooming. It's got beautiful purple flowers. It's interesting, they start out yellow and then they turn to purple. And in a few weeks, we'll have okra pods that are going to be purple. So, how are you? It's summer, Cancerian season. So excited. And, of course, we and I miss our beloved. There's a lot to look forward to, but it's, it's different. So this week I wanted to talk about the big news. Hannah, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, the New York Times reporter, writer, editor who created the 1619 Project, won several awards. She's a MacArthur Genius winner as well. And everybody knows by now that the tenure battle that really wasn't a battle um, ended with her declining the offer from North Carolina to teach for five years. So she was going to go up for tenure and it was just, uh, there was a vote it was a 9-4 vote, but essentially there wasn't really even, it, it was a uh, offer of 9-4 and five years of teaching, but it wasn't really an all-in kind of situation, even though her faculty was behind her. What has been revealed is that there was just some kind of possible interference in the process. Uh, from higher-ups. Okay, I'll just say that, according to some news articles. So, what did she do? She did something quite bold that is really not... I've never heard of anybody doing it. She accepted a generous offer to be the night chair at Howard University. So, Hannah Nicole Jones... Nicole Hannah Jones, I'm so sorry... Um, Nicole Hannah-Jones is going to be a professor at Howard. Interestingly, North Carolina is her alma mater, and then they just actually blew it with her. One of the interesting things about this is this is a huge demonstration of what we in cultural studies call agency. And we're going to attach another word to this and we're going to say womanist agency and I'm going to attach another word and I'm going to say black womanist agency. It's kind of redundant because womanist, womanism, womanist thought is a concept that comes out of critical race theory and it was developed by a black woman and um, yeah, so, so let's just say also there's a famous author who coined the term womanist um, I believe it's Alice Walker in the essay In Our Mother's Gardens 
check me if that's not the right reference, but there's a long history associating the term womanism, womanist with black collectivist thought. So what makes her decision womanist is the fact that she turned down a job offer that was attached to a status quo employment structure that ultimately did not suit and one could argue never would have suited her and hasn't suited really anybody of color any black person any black woman so she's peeling off the band-aid and revealing the sore it's not a scab yet it's still sore and that sore is structural inequality a system that's not built for you but would like to extract your labor is not capitalist even it's exploitative exploitative it's a system of exploitation that with our changing demographic is probably unsustainable And so what do I think? I think about the students, of course. I think about what I have heard often from students, especially, well, only my white students, you know, have said to me, you know, I've never had a professor of color. Somebody said that to me uh, last fall when I was doing some volunteer work. And I was working with a university student at West Virginia University. She was a double major in sociology and journalism, two excellent combinations, in my opinion. And she was doing a a documentary video. So I had a lovely time helping her by, by just being an interview subject. And I told her I used to teach college students and that I absolutely loved it and she said you know I've never had a black professor and she was upset about this um and I've had white students be upset about this before um and and to the point where almost almost in a Sharon Osbourne on the view of educate me quoting Sharon Osbourne kind of a way but not quite as um, rude (laughs) but the responsibility I would say to my students to students out there isn't on the professor the educator the black woman the black woman educator professor to educate you I mean It's, let me just say, it's not on the black woman to fix the system that makes it almost impossible to remain employed while desiring to live your life, like, or have a family or travel. 
in, in a system that will extract and demands your presence without any kind of extra support that would make life comfortable. Look into it. If you are the parent of a college student, ask your college student how many black women professors does he or she have. Now, this is a relevant question because at this point in history, in the United States history, who has, what what uh, demographic has the largest percentage of master's degrees? You know, once you attain a master's degree or a master of your field, you can begin teaching college. Which demographic has the majority, um, is the largest group with it? A master's degree is black women, at least last I checked. So where are the tenured black women, the women who have jumped through the hoops, Okay, met the requirements. Why are they not getting promoted? They're out there. You can't say that, uh, oh my goodness, I can't find any qualified people because that's just not statistically true. Yes, there's still a long way to go. Yes, we have many more people to educate. But there's never been a time when it has been easier to hire and to promote an educated, accomplished black woman. So where are they? Why are they not teaching your children? These are all very good questions. What goes on? at a college, at a university, in the tenure discussion. Most people have not a clue, and even people who work at universities may not have a clue, okay? So for Hannah, for for Nicole Hannah-Jones to say, I'm going to go where I am celebrated, not tolerated, is showing that she can put herself, her needs, her desires first, and she doesn't have to accept scraps, crumbs. She's not an afterthought. She's not um, there to prove anything. She's not at the, you know, mercy or whim of the status quo. Uh, She's going to an institution that was created for the sons and the daughters of the South. Okay. It's based in Washington, District of Columbia, and it produced our first woman black Asian vice president 
pretty good story, pretty good ending. We'll see. It's just the beginning. I think she's going to revolutionize employment in higher education when it comes to um, meeting the needs of a population that has been severely neglected. We could talk more about education and what it is for, what it is about, who it is for. Such an important topic. We can also talk about how um, <laughs> how society expects black women to present, to show up. Okay. This is a very good, this is such an important question because there seems to be like mainstream status quo society seems to have some sort of expectations. And I think that that is uh, played out in the Olympics. We can talk about, I mean, first of all, who doesn't love the Olympics? I sure do. And it breaks my heart that it's an Olympic year. And then we have the world's fastest runner who's not going to be there due to a scandal, I guess, involving the weed. <laughs> um, I mean, we, a plant that is now legal in 18 states. So let's just think about it. I also want to quickly say I mean, there probably are rules and regulations around its usage, but I seem to recall the swimmer Michael Phelps also had an instance involving cannabis. I don't know if it had anything to do with him, if it was during the qualification round, but I am hoping it's Shikari, right? Her name is Shikari. I hope that this incident involving Shikari is ultimately um, somehow resolved in in her favor although I don't know if she's going to be making the Olympics maybe she could become a spokesperson or I'm sure she's going to continue her career let's just say and she should Uh, let's talk about the swimming cap issue Um, black women swimmers who are wearing the latest swim cap which tucks in all of their luscious locks um, are now banned from wearing this cap because the Olympic committee said the cap does not conform naturally to the head so I read that as being it's not sleek enough which is something you hear you know not a hair out of place, sleek, straight, straight hair is preferable. I don't know. I mean, if you're a swimmer and you have thick, curly hair, what are you going to do? Are you going to stop swimming? Are you going to come? Are you going to stop competing? I don't get it. It's hair, you know, tuck it into a cap and swim. Um, I'm assuming that this cap is, you know, not going to come off in the water, you know, I'm sure that they've tested it, and it may, you know, if they didn't test it, you know, 
then maybe that's a whole nother discussion. But I, again, let's not discriminate against black women's hair. Also, black women are not the only women who have thick, luscious, curly locks. Okay? But they are the group that seems to always get singled out, penalized, and uh, disciplined, or at least the most, when you think about it. There should be a resolution. There should be some amicable outcome. I cannot imagine being an official and making this pronouncement knowing that it's going to um, single out a certain ethnic group. It just doesn't seem like a smart thing for the brand, the Olympics brand. seems like they would want to be... I mean, when I think of the Olympics, maybe I'm wrong, but I think about (laughs) nations coming together, camaraderie, celebrating the athlete but then I guess I quickly have to remember Berlin and Hitler and Jesse Owens wow just had a thought there what do you think I believe we need the Olympics or such events to give hope bring hope and to restore faith in humanity but at this point in time these controversies like cannabis gate and big hair um leave me exhausted spent and done and they just don't motivate me to want to re-up my cable bill which I've had turned off since November and I've been loving it. So I, I thought about um, getting my cable bill or cable turned on for the Olympics. Nope, I don't think so. Not not now. I don't, I don't want to. I just don't want any silly controversies. I just want sport activities fun again which it's gonna it's gonna be a while excuse me it's gonna be a while before the fun comes back that's what I think goodbye Good afternoon. It's Friday, September 17th, and I'd like to talk about the Met Gala, the tax, the rich dress worn fabulously by AOC, Congresswoman 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, designed by Brother Veliz, a black woman designer. Okay, this post is about the Met Gala, which takes place every year and is a fundraiser for Children's Arts Project. Program takes place in New York City at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It attracts celebrities and people who can pay upwards of $35,000 for ticket to attend. Okay, so the guests included many of our favorites and with oh it's themed always so this year the theme was something like in america and because some of our favorite beloved people were there who depend on fans to provide them with sales of records films what have you modern contracts i guess or products um you know, you wouldn't expect to see too many outwardly, overtly political statements on the red carpet. There were a lot of subtle nods. Um, but one of the, like, interestingly enough, one of the outfits that attracted the most discussion was not from an rapper, singer, celebrity, but from a politician from the Bronx, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman. As we know, one of her former jobs was a bartender. So she has built her credibility on representing the needs of working people, working families. And when she arrived at the gala, she wore a white off-the-shoulder gown with buttons on the front, kind of resembling a suit. And then it kind of fanned out into a glorious fishtail with tulle peeking out and emblazoned on the back of this white dress were the words tax the rich embroidered in red and people are still talking about it on Friday this happened on Monday some critics say oh my goodness how dare she attend such an expensive Others say, why shouldn't she? It's a fundraiser. It's a public, it's at a public place, which is the museum. And it raises money for arts programming. So shouldn't this politician represent her constituents who enjoy arts programming and education? Okay. So, 
what was really also interesting was uh, she arrived at the event with the designer of the dress, whose name is Aurora James, a Canadian who immigrated to the United States to pursue her dream of becoming a fashion designer. She created a brand called Brother Veli's, which is a shoe company. And if you are not familiar with Aurora James, she is also well known for promoting something called the 15% pledge. And if you have been following social media, specifically Instagram, and also if you've been following Vogue, the magazine, you will know that the 15% pledge is and a pledge that Aurora James has asked um, big box stores to take, which is to devote at minimum 15% of their shelf space to black product makers, black businesses, black owned businesses, 15%. So, this is the context in which we have AOC, as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is known, arriving at the Met with Aurora James. And in the, the dress that James designed, James is a black woman. So it's just so stunning, this concept. Now... I want to quickly, quickly jump in as the journalist that I am and say AOC got a lot of criticism for showing up, but she also, um, some, some of the actual, um, some artists who do performance art professionally, such as Pittsburgh's own Vanessa L. German, suggested that AOC perhaps could have gone a little bit further in her presentation. And um, when one arrives at a gala and steps behind the curtains to go have dinner with some of the wealthiest individuals in our culture, wearing a dress that says tax the rich, why let words suffice? Why not commence taxing? There they are, after all, in a room. So Vanessa L. German was being inter interviewed by another uh, wonderful interviewer artist. And I should put a plug in for German because she has a live performance happening this evening in Portland, Oregon. The Blue Walk, which is a nod to fashion, and it's also a nod to culture. The Blue Walk, Portland, Oregon, I believe it's at 8 p.m. Eastern, or I'm sorry, 8 p.m. Pacific time, as we know Oregon is in the Pacific. So watch your Instagram live for a possible live streaming 
And if you don't see a live stream, then watch tomorrow. She'll have media up on her site of the Blue Walk. So Vanessa was suggesting AOC start writing out tax notes, give, give those notes to the rich and see if they would pay up and then collect that money and then distribute it to the non-rich and um, solve a need, you know, meet some needs. And it's a really interesting suggestion. It is a direct action type of suggestion. And I think that it is a brilliant, brilliant suggestion. Um, after all, if anyone is more capable, I would say, than a celebrity at taking on a direct act, it would be a politician, right? So I want to give kudos to AOC for attending the Met and for wearing the dress. We're still talking about it. And then I want to inquire uh, of, of her as to whether she thought about doing something like taking direct action at the gala. Because maybe it did enter her mind. I don't know because, you know, I'm not a mind reader. But it would be something that I would love to ask her if I were to interview her. So if you are listening, um, Congresswoman, I would really like to know more about your thought process uh, and, and your participation at the Met, Met Gala. So that is my commentary. I believe politicians, you know, belong, I would say, wherever the people are. And it's just what they do with their time there that matters. So kudos. <laughs>